0: You need to go meet with somebody and see if you align with them and their families and then it either works or it doesn't. But I think people who are cheating, if they're going to cheat you to get you, they're going to cheat in some other way too, meaning they're not going to be good people. The really bad ones end up in trouble.
1: Welcome to the Sports Business Radio podcast. I'm your host, Brian Berger. You can find the Sports Business Radio podcast over 14 years, 500 episodes featuring conversations with people like Mark Cuban, David Stern, Jeannie Buss, Charles Barkley, Jack Nicholas, and Kyrie Irving on iTunes or at sportsbusinessradio.com. We're ranked in the top 100 of the business news podcast section on iTunes. Follow us in between podcasts on Twitter at SB Radio. We've been named a top 50 followed by Forbes.com for three consecutive years and on Instagram at Sports Business Radio. The Sports Business Radio podcast is brought to you by the Robinhood app. Robinhood is an investing app that lets you buy and sell stocks, ETFs, options, and cryptos, all commission-free. Robinhood is giving our listeners a free stock like Apple, Ford, or Sprint to help build your portfolio. Sign up at sbradio.robinhood.com. That's sbradio.robinhood.com. My guest is Jill McBride-Baxter. She is the host of the Representation Without Taxation podcast on iTunes. She's also a sports agent. She represents coaches, athletes, and even media types. Jill, welcome to Sports Business Radio. How are you?
0: Good. How are you doing?
1: Good. We met through our mutual friend, Ryan Bruce, and, uh you know, we've had a conversation before this one, and I'm really interested in your background and also your work that you do as an agent. But let's start with, you grew up around sports. Your dad was a college football coach. Tell us a little bit about your your upbringing and, and how you became passionate about sports.
0: Yeah, I grew up as a coach's kid, so my dad was... um you know, was a college football coach. So basically <laughs> we grew up on a football field. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, that's what we did. We were at practice and, you know, I remember going recruiting with my dad and, you know, it just, we just, I was just around it my whole life. So I've always been at a, every Saturday I've always been at a college football game, truthfully, since really almost the day I was born. Cause my dad was, my dad actually was, um, When we were really little, my parents just lived in the dorms at San Jose State. My dad was playing. So, um, you know, anyways, I've just been around it my whole life. So when I got to about my third year of law school, which was a long time ago, okay, like 1988, one of my uh, dad's players was getting offered a contract in the NFL. And my dad said, you know, Gary needs help, so you know, figure out what you had to do and so I at the time I was president of the sports law forum at my law school and um I called actually Lee Steinberg's office and asked him what I had to do to become to represent NFL players and that's what I when I found out you had to be a member of the union and at that time all you had to do was call the union and pay money, the NFL Players Association and then you were a member. It's not that way anymore. I mean there's a lot it's the it's a lot more I'd say, you know, they have different qualifications now than they did then, and that's really how I got started with representing NFL players. The business has, you know, completely changed. It's not the same as it was, you know, in 1988, I can tell you that.
1: Yeah, we'll get into that in a minute, but tell our audience where your dad coached.
0: Oh, my dad was the head coach at University of Utah, the head coach at Weber State, he coached at University of Kentucky, he coached at University of Arizona, he coached at University of Wisconsin. Um before when we were little, he coached at uh Long Beach State and UC Riverside and Gavilan Junior College and then his first job was actually at a at a high school. So I mean, yeah. So that's but and he was the head coach at the University of Utah for a really long time. Right. And my parents still live in Salt Lake, yeah.
1: And now you are married to John Baxter, who is a special teams coordinator on the coaching staff at, at the yeah. University of Southern California.
0: That's right. Yeah. Then I met John in Arizona in about, I guess it was around 90. Well, not sure what year it was. Probably in the early 90s. And, um, and at the time he and my dad were actually on the staff together and my dad uh got the head job at University of Utah and John had had left for his first job after being a GA at university at University of Maine. He then hired got hired back because Coach Tomey had a full time uh job opening on his staff and he hired John back. And my dad tried to hire him at the same time, but he ended up going to U of A and I was working in uh, Arizona at the time at the DA's office, and um, I was trying to figure out, wow, who am I going to get tickets? to the came from, and <laughs> John was this. John was the single one on the staff, so I asked him, and then um, you the rest know, we started is dating. And I know, yeah, we started dating, and then. He got a job offer somewhere else, and I said, well, do you want to get married or break up? And he said, get married, so we did.
1: <laughs> and now, and, the nice thing is, he has in-house counsel. He doesn't have to go far for a, an agent, right?
0: No, no, I do. Yeah, I do negotiate his deals. That can get a little tricky, but yes,
1: Yeah, I, do. That, I would love to be at the dinner <laughs> table for those conversations. No, I said I want this instead of that.
0: <laughs> and that. I treat him like a client, too. I'm like, okay, you know, let me just tell you, you just...
1: <laughs> oh, my God. That's got to be really funny. Uh, so let's talk about that for a minute. Again, you represent athletes, coaches, media. Let's mm-hmm. start with your representation of coaches because that is an area that has changed so much. The money is so different now. The turnover yes. is high. The assistants are yeah. tied to the head coach. If the head coach goes, usually the whole staff goes. So talk to us a little bit about how do you protect your clients who are coaches from the high turnover that exists?
0: Well, the best thing to do is to protect them contractually. Unfortunately, a lot of coaches don't, a lot of assistant coaches, they don't read their contracts. And the most important part of the contract really is, what am I going to get paid when I am terminated? Okay, and so you want to make sure to protect the coach that they are, are protected for the entire term of the contract. So if it's a three-year deal, you got to make sure they're also going to get paid for three years if they get terminated. Because a lot of times there's a lot of clauses in there that will actually, and I've seen this happen to coaches before, they didn't read it. They think they have a three-year deal, but there's a 30-day payout. So really what they had is a 30-day contract to me. So let me ask you this.
1: What would you say the percentage is of assistant coaches, not head coaches, assistant coaches who have agents like you representing them?
0: um, Well, it's a much higher percentage now than it used to be. I have a lot of assistant coaches, but I have completely changed also that whole structure, too, because I used to um, do a whole thing where you just do a percentage of the contract and all will And I found that a lot of clients got really frustrated with that structure, and so I changed my complete structure. So I charge a flat fee. I I have them do like, I have almost like a 22-page workbook that we go through so they can really figure out who they are, what they represent, what their goals are, what their targeted goals are, and then we set up a whole entire plan for them, then we execute it. And I just charge them a flat fee for that. And then once they get to the contract, there's another fee that's a sliding scale based on how much the contract is worth. Right. And it's been, it's been a much more uh, – my clients really like it rather than, you know, because there's a big misconception out there. Oh, the agent's going to get you the job. Eh, don't think so. You're going to get a job based on who you know.
1: And like you said, if it's an assistant, it's especially, you know, you see these offensive and defensive coordinators who are either former head coaches or who have a relationship with the head coach, that's mostly how they're going to get that job, right?
0: Absolutely. I mean, people don't hire people they don't know in this business. They really don't. It's very rare. Um, I've had it happen a few times, maybe with like like an assistant to the you know, like the special teams coordinator or something like that. But people hire people they've worked with because it's too you know, you gotta know that the you know, you gotta know the person. I mean really because it you're going to battle with them every day and you kinda gotta know what they're capable of and what they're like under pressure. And can they handle the job? And are they good at what they do? And do they get along well with others? <laughs> yeah, you know, there's a lot of There's a lot of things that go
1: into it. So I've got to ask you this because, and, you know, I know there's probably some things you can say and some things you can't, but the, the Zach Smith story has been a big story in the news. And, you know, I look at that story and I go, wow, this guy could have brought Urban Meyer down. Like, because Urban hitched his wagon to Zach Smith, not once, but twice at Florida and at Ohio State, it, it was, it was, kind of tenuous there for a little bit for Urban and, and you could argue that Urban Meyer should have been fired, but my question is when you have a situation like that, whether you represent the head coach or the assistant coach, what is your role as the agent in, in a situation like that?
0: Well, hopefully they call me right away, but if he if he had to prevent what happened to him, you know, as an employee at a university, which is, is you know, a, a any institution, your requirement is to, when something does happen with an employee or with a player, you're supposed to report it to the Title IX coordinator at your university and report it to the police, okay? And if you do that, you're protected because you've done what you're supposed to do and then they have a private investigation. What the coach shouldn't do is try to figure it out himself and, and decide whether or not somebody did something because they're really not you know they're not investigators. They're not police officers, um, and that's not what they should be doing. That's what the Title IX coordinator is for at every university, and what the police is for. And they do, and you do actually have a, an obligation to report crimes. Okay, so in his in the in the Zach Miller case, and I don't I haven't read all the different like police reports or anything, or or what Urban actually knew. Um, I, I'm not, I'm cause I'm not going to pretend like I know, cause I really haven't read the entire file, which as an attorney, you'd want to read everything and get all the information first. Um, but having worked at a DA's office and handled a lot of domestic violence cases, uh, people who are abusive, they don't tell the truth. Oh, shocking. Yeah. They tell you that it was the other person's fault. Right. They tell you it didn't happen.
1: Well, and in this case, and there, there was, were text messages. There, there was such a trail of evidence. You know, yeah. him apologizing via text, and you know, yeah. Brett McMurphy from uh, the stadium had a number of legitimate pieces of evidence that proved that there was domestic violence going on, and that yeah, yeah, that Urban Meyer knew. And that Shelly Meyer, his wife, knew. And I think that's an interesting strategy now, too, by the way, where these coaches or these sports executives throw their wives under the bus now, whether it was Brian Colangelo with the <laughs> Philadelphia 76ers. That was my wife with the burner account, not me. I know. She happened I to know. know all the medical information for the team, by the way, but that was her. That wasn't me. I had no idea she had a burner account. And then in this case, you know, Urban Meyer, well, I don't talk to Shelley about that kind of stuff, and I didn't know she had the... These texts? Are you serious? Like, do they really think we're that
0: dumb? I I don't think that. Yeah, I mean, I, I really, I don't know what Urban knew and didn't know. I really don't. Um, But I'm just thinking, like, okay, I'm just thinking about, like, I don't know. It's it's an, it's an interesting question because, like, during the season, for instance, like yesterday, I'm just going to give you an example. My husband was at the office all day and he was working till like one in the morning I, I didn't talk to him yesterday we didn't have a conversation because i was busy and he was busy right so i mean i i i don't know but the thing is Shelley worked at the university too so she had an obligation to report right so so the point is yeah do you think that that he didn't know uh i think he was
1: I don't know. Here's here's the deal. I say this on this show all the time. I've been doing this show for almost 15 years. These coaches on the university campuses, the head coaches, there is a God complex that exists. I don't care if it's Rick Pitino, Urban Meyer, Joe Paterno, whoever it is. It's a God complex. They are treated as gods on the college campus. They have higher ranking than the university president, and they're control freaks. So <laughs> the fact that they want to play dumb on these certain things, Rick Bettino, I had no idea there was a brothel that was taking place on campus. You have 15 players on your team. You don't even have a football team. You have 15 players to keep track of, and you didn't know there was a brothel on your campus. Give me a break. So that's my problem with all of this is they want to play dumb at convenient times and naive, and I didn't have any idea this was going on, but then... If you really look inside what they're doing, they are control freaks and they control every single aspect. The music that's playing at practice, the kind of smoothie that's being served after practice. I mean, every (laughs) single element is controlled and has their fingerprints on it. But in cases like this, they want to act like they knew nothing.
0: Well, I mean, and like I said, because I don't have all, I mean, I don't feel like if I wish I would have read the whole report, but honestly, I haven't. So I don't really know what Urban knew and didn't know. But I do think, I mean, like, let's say I come home. I I mean, nobody knows what's going on in our house. Like my husband and I, let's say. Let's say he comes home. They don't know what we're doing. They don't know if we went to the movie or went out to dinner or, you know, they have no idea. They don't know how many, you know, maybe we had friends over. They, They don't know. So there's a lot of things I mean, and I see what you're saying. You're thinking that all day long they're communicating. Well, let me just tell you something. not when it's game week, they're not talking to us. At least my husband's busy. Well, but <laughs> what I
1: mean is the coaching staff is talking to each other, and the head coaches specifically want their fingerprints on everything. They are, yeah. con- they are control freaks. And
0: they, they are, but I will say when it comes to everybody's personal life you would be surprised how much we don't necessarily know about everybody else's personal life. Sure. No, I get it. Like, you know, like down in LA, we all, we don't all live all that close because some, some people live in Pasadena. Some people live in another, you know, we live like in the Palos Verdes area. And so, you know, you don't, I don't know what's going on at somebody else's house. Now, if somebody were to say something to me, um, You know, I would, I'm just sitting here thinking, would I have, would I say, my husband would probably go, I don't know what he would say. I mean, but he knows he has an obligation to report. Right. So, but see. So is that part
1: of your, let me jump in for a minute. Is that part of your, so you talked about the 22 page workbook that you do with your coach clients is part of your education or work with them. This isn't just about your contract. These are the protocols that you need to know about if you're going to be a coach. For instance, if something like this takes place, you've got to report it to you know the coordinator that you just mentioned, the Title IX coordinator, or you know, the person on campus who's responsible for making sure that all the rules are being abided by. Is that one of the things that you go through with your coaches?
0: Well, I would go through it with them on a case-by-case situation and what I'm saying is I want them to call me okay when something happens and then I will advise them what to do based on the situation okay in my in my whole structure it, it's more of who are you what do you represent creating a brand what your goals are because what what happened in our industry is is people go off kind of like Hey, I'm going to get an agent because the agent's going to get me a job. But that's not how it works. If I don't know who you are and what you represent and what your goals are, how can I possibly help to guide you to get a job?
1: Or most so of your I clients think- coming to you, they're the, like you said, you get a job in this industry based on relationships. So I'm imagining most of your clients, it's not like they randomly find you online or on Twitter or on your podcast, they're coming to you from someone else who has utilized you, or through some personal relationship. Would that be correct?
0: I would say that's an interesting question because this, um yeah, there are one person was, and I'm and I'm just thinking about this new structure. Um, I don't people find out about me from different people, but I will say it's word of mouth. Yeah, right. it's referral. It's not like I'm calling. Pe- you mean I'm calling people on the phone and saying, "Hey, you know,
1: you need an agent? No.
0: <laughs> yeah, I don't. I do not do that with coaches. They they usually call me, or I worked with somebody else, and they say, you know, whatever. Call
1: Jill. Approximately, and, how many coaches are you working with right now? Ballpark.
0: I have a lot of coaches.
1: Hundred.
0: Uh, Fifty. Well, you got to understand. Like I do. I mean, I've had tons of them. I I, I really have never really counted. I mean, I've been doing it for 30 years. You see what I mean? And are they head coaches
1: and assistant coaches or just primarily assistant coaches?
0: I have athletic directors. Oh, wow. Okay. I have coordinators in the NFL. I have head coaches. I have assistant coaches. I have football ops people. Because now that I have the new structure, it's a flat fee. So I I can represent all kinds of people if they need help. Yeah. The uh, the the way that the way I used to do it it kind of even prevented you from hiring from somebody hiring me that wasn't making was just making not that much money. So now what I can was the,
1: Yeah, what was the flip that you know, switched with you that kind of made you change this business model? Was there a particular client that said, Hey, if you did it this way, I'd hire you. Or did a light just come on one day and you're like, you know, if I did it this way, I'd probably get more clients.
0: You know what? Last year, it was actually last year because, um, my husband was like, well, I think, I think I need to get somebody to help me get a head job. Why you're married to an agent (laughs) and, 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 and and I'm just going to tell you, and it, was nothing against this person cuz he's a good guy and I think he did a good job but I ended up negotiating all the deals and he ended up getting his own head jobs and then we were paying a lot of money to somebody and I thought you know what this isn't right and so since I had it on the reverse side and then you know we we since changed that of course but we were tied into a certain amount of years with the kind of, and I was like okay you know what I don't really like this either Truthfully. Yeah. Because he always, you know, because it is a little bit, when when he is working for somebody and I have to negotiate with his boss, it gets a little dicey. I'm just going to tell you.
1: Yeah. Some people tout know I mean? their clients and you don't seem like, you know, the big agencies, the CAAs, the IMGs, the Wassermans, that hey, we have this client and that client because it attracts other clients. Oh, wow. If they represent them, they must know what they're doing. I'm going to go sign with them. What's your philosophy on touting some of your top clients so people know who you rep and that you have these capabilities or are you like totally... You seem like you're a little bit on the down low with with who you rep.
0: Well, I, I am because, you know, there's this thing called attorney-client privilege.
1: <laughs> but you're an agent so, too.
0: Yeah, I know, but I'm still an attorney. Okay. And so I guess I always err on the side and, you know, like like before I went on the show, it's not like I called like one of my main clients who's I'm like in the middle of negotiating a deal with, hey, do you mind if I mention your name on air? I, I, they might not be okay with that right now. Right. So,
1: Who is it?
0: No, I'm I am, And I'll tell you something else that's come up that's really interesting in the, in the coaching end of it is that anybody making over a million dollars, universities are getting a 21% excise tax. Wow. Over a million dollars, Okay. So anybody who's making over a million dollars, the school is getting taxed. So what I've been trying to work on for the last really two weeks uh, is figuring out what what to do. Well, there's this thing called split life policies, where a university who's the employer would loan the money to the employee on a on a split life policy, and then. So, like, let's say it's like two hundred grand. You put two hundred grand in for a ten-year period, and it's a it's a retirement benefit at the end of a certain amount of money. And then the university, upon the death of the employee, gets reimbursed hmm. for the amount they put in. That's and interesting. So it, it's it's the only way I could figure out to work around, because then it's not income. You see what I mean? Yeah. So it's not income to the employee. And in, in the executive world, they've been doing this forever. Um, and so there's going to be have to be a lot more thoughtful things about how to structure it so the universities are not getting a 21% tax over a million dollars. Wow. That that's contract. So
1: I want to so do I, a few quick hit questions with you. First, there's people who listen to this show, and I'm sure they listen to your uh, Representation Without Taxation podcast on iTunes, and they say, you know what? I want to be an agent someday. I mean, it seems like everyone after the (laughs) Jerry Maguire movie, they're like, I want to live that life, and I want to be an agent. If someone's listening to this podcast right now, and they're thinking about becoming an agent, what are the skills that they need to have in order to be a successful agent, in your opinion?
0: Well, one of the things, I, I really think you got to have a law degree. I know there's some people who, you know, represent people that aren't lawyers, but there's too many things that happen where you need to have a legal background. Okay. Okay. One. Number two, got to have relationships because you can't get clients if you don't have relationships. Mm-hmm. And you need to know if you're going to represent an NFL player, you better know how to evaluate talent because there's a lot of people that aren't good enough. Hmm. So, so if you, and and that's, I think that's one of the problems with, um, you know, what's going on right now in, in the NFL side of it is that there's people that are getting in the business who don't understand the business and players are true, you know, it, there's become a very pressure amongst my peers, which is something I don't really buy into, is they become a bank to the player. Meaning, I'm going to pay for your training, I'm going to pay for your expenses. I'm, I'm talking about once they're once they're out and they sign, okay? They're paying for all these things that are really expensive, and then the player doesn't make it. And the agent's like, I just spent this much money. Well, that was stupid. Don't give them the money. Right. It's like 90% of it is the film. And then there's maybe... 10% is the, you know, what I call the track events that, you know, the NFL requires those guys to do. But if you talk to the scouts or even say, well, that just solidifies, is, is who they are in the field, who they are in, in, in a workout. But really, 90% of it is the film and, you know, injury, injuries, uh, interviews, character, all that stuff goes into it. And then, you know, I mean, you think they're going to do the whole thing on the vertical jump? That'd be crazy. So, it's, it's, so there's a lot of agents who have tried to get in it, spent money, lost a bunch of money, and because they didn't know how to evaluate the talent. If you're going to do that, they better be a second-round pick, not an undrafted free agent or what I call not a guy.
1: You know, can't okay. play. We'll return to our conversation after a word from our sponsor. Really happy to welcome Robin Hood app to Sports Business Radio. They're going to be a great partner. I like their app a lot because it's a non-intimidating way for stock market newcomers to invest for the first time, and they can have true confidence about doing it. The other thing I love about the Robinhood app, it's an investing app that lets you buy and sell stocks, ETFs, options, and cryptos, all commission-free. I know there's a lot of brokerage firms out there that charge up to $10 for every trade, but Robinhood doesn't charge commission, and they make it super easy for you to invest. So for our listeners, Robinhood is giving a free stock like Apple, Ford, or Sprint to help build your portfolio. You can sign up at sbradio.robinhood.com. That's sbradio.robinhood.com. I also love how they make understanding the stock market easy for new investors. They have these easy-to-understand charts and market data that is all on their app. So if you don't understand certain things about the stock market or a specific stock, they make that easier for you to understand. I love this app because again, so many people out there that I talk to, they're like, I want to invest in the stock market, but it's a little bit intimidating. Not sure quite how to do it. This is a super easy entry point for stock newcomers. And again, ETFs, Cryptos, options, these are all available via the Robinhood app. So give the Robinhood app a try. Sign up again at sbradio.robinhood.com. That's sbradio.robinhood.com. Do it today. Now back to our conversation. So, so uh, how how much uh pursuing of players do you do versus they're being referred to you? Because I've seen agents who literally have spent years chasing players dating back to mm-hmm. high school, college, and then they get to the pros and they've invested all this money in them in chasing them, traveling, you know, maybe providing other benefits, and then they go with another agent, and as the agent, you're like, oh my gosh, I just invested literally years and tens of thousands of dollars in this player and I got nothing to show for it. Yeah, I don't do that. So you're basically the agent that you don't pursue the player, you're... You have referrals that come to you, and then you evaluate the player, and if you think the player has uh, talent to make it to the NFL, then you're interested in signing them.
0: Basically. Okay. But my relationships are different. Because, first of all, I go to a college game every single Saturday. Every Saturday of my entire life. Hmm. I can look up the field and look at somebody's feet and tell you whether they at least have a chance. Wow. Okay. And then, and then, I can call people that are, you know, in the NFL and say, hey, is this guy, what do you think about this guy? And they'll tell me right away. You know, they'll have a range or whatever. You know what I'm saying? But, but then also, I just, you know, I'm just, and then some people just, a lot of times people just get referred to me and then I evaluate them and figure out what, you know, number one. Do they align with me value-wise? Because if they don't, honestly, I don't want to really represent them. Meaning because I'm about protection, advocacy, and trust. And if they don't value being protected and somebody being an advocate for them and being their trusted advisor, then I don't want to play.
1: How much do you have to deal with the... the families, the entourages, the posses, as I call them, how much do you factor that in? Because I'll tell you, you know, I do work outside of this show as a consultant and I've worked with athletes. And if I don't like the people surrounding the athlete or I don't trust them or I don't think they're going to follow through, I don't work with them.
0: No, I know. I, I don't. I, I, for the most part, I, I, I would say I probably don't attract that kind of a person Although, I, I mean, I will say when I represented my UFC fighter, um, and that was interesting, uh, there were sometimes issues with that entourage. but
1: <laughs> Can you say who the fighter was or now, Or is?
0: Um, Yeah, K- Kendall the Spider Grove. He was 180. He was uh, middleweight in the UFC. But I traveled all over the world with him and his entourage, and that was interesting.
1: Huh wow so so this is the other thing too, and I always ask this of guests uh on the show if they're they're women, I have a thirteen and a half year old daughter, and you know she's kind of trailing around me and my life and sports like you did with your dad, and who knows uh-huh. if she'll get into the industry at some point? I don't know, but you're dealing predominantly with male clients. How yep. is that dynamic yep. for you because You've got to be a strong woman. You've got to walk in that room and kind of command that room. So they go, okay, like, I trust this person. And and if I need someone to represent me and be tough with my negotiations, like, this woman's going to get it done.
0: Yeah. Well, I I think usually when people meet me, they figure out pretty quickly that (laughs) I can handle quite a bit. But... uh, I, you know, it's an interesting question because when I first got into it, I really didn't think about it. I really didn't because, you know, one of my dad's players needed help, and that's how I got in it. Uh, I think now they talk about it a lot more because there are more women now doing it than there used to be. Um, but when I first got in it, I'm certain I was probably the only one, but I don't know. When I went to the first meeting with the NFLPA, there, was, there wasn't that many of us then. Uh, now there's more. Um, but, you know, when you're negotiating a deal, the whole thing is you need to be prepared. You need to know what your client's worth and you need to be prepared. And that doesn't have anything to do with gender. And then you kind of got to know how people operate, which is called politics. So uh, since I've been around for a long time, I, I kind of know the politics. Right. With the you know, NFL... And, and, and if you're,
1: I was going to say and with I, the NFL players, just judging from your Twitter feed, it seems like you may represent a lot of place kickers or special teams. I
0: I, I am the specialist. I mean, I have to tell you, I've, <laughs> I've become the specialist. Uh, what do you call? I don't want to say. That's I I I do a lot of, a lot of representation of specialists, which, and I like representing them. It's just a really hard job because there's only thirty two of them, and then right. look what happened this.
1: Three, oh my gosh!
0: three kickers got changed three
1: in one week three
0: yeah zane Zane got um you know just i mean he missed he he missed a lot of kicks. you can't miss number one you could especially if you're younger, you can't miss uh maybe you can't ever miss, but then there's allegedly that there's an injury, so that's an interesting situation. If you're injured, you should immediately call the doctor and get a second opinion because the team's going to try to, you know, they they aren't supposed to be able to cut you when you're injured. So if you're injured, you've got to report it to the trainer. The hard part with the kicker, when you're the only one on the roster, you really don't want to report it to the trainer because you're not going to be able to play.
1: Yeah, so like, that's a very interesting point you just made, because there's two cases that I can look at this weekend. So, there's the Cleveland Browns kicker, and I don't know if you worked, or that's worked Zane. with him. That's okay. Zane. Is he that's one of your guys?
0: Zane. No, but I know Zane. Okay, Zane's so, so,
1: ASU. he was obviously hurt, and he had told the coaches that he was hurt, according to, according to everything I read, but they still put him out there, including at the end of the game, to try and kick a 52 or two-yard field goal when the guy obviously couldn't kick from like 30 yards for an extra point. He was hurting, but he didn't tell yeah. anyone, or they just threw him out there anyways. Then the Rams kicker in warm-ups is like, I can't go today. Take me out of consideration. So they had the punter doing extra points, or they were going for two-point conversion. So one team, the Rams kicker, removed himself from missing because he's like, I'm hurt, I'm not going to give myself a chance to miss. And then the Browns kicker, you know, he's a young guy, he goes out there anyways and shouldn't have been out there. He was obviously hurt, and now he loses his job.
0: Yep, it's, it's tricky. It's very hard because... And, and that's where I've always said I think they should allow a spot for two, two kickers, two punters, and even two long snappers because it's just that they won't do it. They huh. don't even have them on the practice squad, which you wouldn't be able – like I was thinking to myself, if, for instance, the Rams, if they had had a guy on the practice squad as a kicker, let's say they had a Ficken, who's who they signed, uh, on the practice squad. I don't think you would – you can't activate them that quick anyway. So that's why you need actually two guys on the roster. Especially the kicker because the kicker they're the leading scorer on your team. Right. Look at the stats. Yeah. And 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 yet, you know, you have three quarterbacks, but you don't have a backup.
1: Well, and I'll tell you, this one of one of my big problems with college football is these teams, the Alabama's or whoever They go and recruit all these five-star players from around the country, and then it comes down to, like, a big kick at some point in the season, and it's like a walk-on or something. (laughs) And you're like, really? You're a multi-million dollar program, and you're going to let your special teams ride on the hopes of a walk-on? And maybe the walk-on's really good, but I've never... If you're looking at it from a business perspective, you would go, wow, why would you leave such a gaping hole in this area of your game as you pointed out, your kicker is usually your leading scorer, at least in the NFL. I've never understood why more uh, profile isn't given to the special teams players, because they can be such a huge, integral part of making or breaking your season.
0: Yeah, well, most of the colleges have one guy on scholarship for sure at the position, and and then they'll have maybe... A, uh, you know, a couple walk-on guys, sometimes the walk-on guys beat out the scholarship guy. That's what you don't know. So it may be in camp, the walk-on guy beat out the scholarship kid, okay, and then the next year that kid ends up getting a scholarship. That, that happens because there's a little, there's more, it's all about the numbers because in the NFL you got 53 on the roster, that's it. It's not that many. When you start to count like each position on the field, you, there's not enough spot and, you know, you're more likely to carry extra receivers and, and safeties and corners because, you know, right. they'll, their legs get tired. So, um, you know, it's about practice. It's about practice.
1: So we've got a few minutes left, and I want to get through a few uh-huh. other questions with you. The difference between working with coaches and athletes, and I know you work with media types too, but let's just say coaches and athletes From my perspective, are coaches a little bit more responsive and responsible than athletes, is it vice versa? What's your difference between working with your coach and your athlete clients?
0: Well, each person's just different. Each person's situation is different. But see, in the NFL, when you're representing NFL players, you're negotiating. This is what we're supposed to do, by the way. You're supposed to negotiate their deal okay, and protect them under the collective bargaining agreement. So I have to know the CBA really well, and especially if they get injured, because there's a process, and you need to follow it to protect your player, because the team will try to save money. In the case of a coach, I am going to, you know, create a whole almost, you know, brand and find out who they are and what their goals are, and you're, you're, you know, they're going to be in the business for 20, 30 years. So that's why I've shifted. So I want them to get on the same page of, of like who you are, what you represent, and where do you want to go, and then come up with the plan, and then assist them in executing the plan, you see? Yeah. And then as far so with coaches, it's just, it's not even the same kind of representation. It's completely different.
1: Have you ever called you one of I mean? your coaching clients and said, hey, I got a player I want you to look at? i
0: um, trying to think. Oh, yeah. I mean, Absolutely, like you I'm said, right. it's all about like, relationships, so
1: why why wouldn't you well, it's, utilize it's, it's that relationship? That.
0: But but here's how it works with each team. Like, let's say, uh, okay, the Cleveland Browns, the kicker gets hurt, so I know at that organization that, you know, who's going to decide on the specialist. So if I have a specialist on the street, I'm contacting that person. If it happens to be a client of mine, well, that's who I'm contacting because that's the person who is making the decisions. Right. And I and I and now I know who those people are because I've been doing it for a long time. So at the Cleveland Browns, you know, I'm gonna text Elliot because Elliot's gonna be the person deciding on the specialist. He did it at Green Bay too. Mm hmm. So, you know, it it but it used to be I, I contacted another person when Elliot was at Green Bay, I contacted somebody else at Cleveland because I so I, you gotta kind of know who the decision makers are, right? Based on what you're dealing with, and it's different at an, each organization, right? You know what I'm saying? So it depends on the position, the situation, and what's going on.
1: Got it. So Vontae yeah. Davis <laughs> yeah. did? Did you see Vontae Davis uh, of the Bills last weekend? He retires at halftime of the <laughs> game. It made big news. Uh You know, obviously we talked about Zach Smith at Ohio State earlier in the interview. I know there's, you know, confidentiality and, and things like that, but what's the craziest situation you've ever had with a client or most unexpected situation that I guess you could talk about? Or even if you don't mention a name, can you describe what the situation was?
0: The craziest? Ever. I
1: mean, retiring at halftime of a game is pretty crazy.
0: Like yeah, I, I imagine that, that
1: agent was probably like, you gotta be kidding me. Like, seriously. And I know he had a lot of guaranteed money, well, four million dollars in guaranteed money, but still it's a little bit of career suicide there. And maybe he really was done and he'll never play again. But that mm-hmm. certainly That's not gonna endear you to any future uh teammates or GMs if that's how you're handling your business. So I, I just thought of the agent when that happened. I was like, wow, I'm sure his agent. Yeah. And, and to their credit, whoever the agent is or the NFL or even the Bills PR people, there was a statement that came out within an hour after that, after the news went viral. And whether Vontae issued those words or not, or someone just created a statement, at least there was some damage control that was being done. So someone was paying attention, but that was a crazy story.
0: Yeah, I don't, I don't, there's tons of things that happen all the time, but I don't think I've ever had anything that crazy happen, but I will say this, the biggest thing in the NFL, because it's the injuries, like I remember I had one player, and he was playing for the Dallas Cowboys, and he was in training camp, and he got hurt, and I was sitting somewhere, I wasn't in my office, and he called me, and he's like, I'm hurt. They're sitting here with this paper in front of me, and I was like, oh, no, 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 don't sign that. And he was smart. He called me right away, mm-hmm. okay? And um, and I said, you need to go get a second opinion immediately, and once that happens, then, then we can figure out where you are. Do you know that that kid never played again, and they were trying to get him to sign something and not pay him?
1: Wow.
0: Because he was, I know. So it's really, it's not usually what the player does. It's usually what the team's trying to do to get out of paying somebody. Hmm. So
1: yeah, it emphasizes the importance of before you sign anything, before you make any deals with anyone, you contact your agent because they're the expert and they know how to protect you.
0: Right. Actually, the minute you get hurt, you should call your agent because I've had other guys not tell me that they're hurt. And then all of a sudden they're getting cut and they tell me they're hurt and I'm like, Dude, you can't you can't wait 2 weeks to tell me that crap. I mean, that's stupid. You got to call me the minute and and I I'm terrible. I I sit there and tell them all the time, the minute you're injured, I'm the first call. Not anybody else. Right. Because I got to know what situation you're in and a lot of times, you know, they want to play, they don't think they're that hurt. Maybe they are just barely hurt, but still you got to you got to get a second opinion to make sure. Because the teams are going to they're they're a business. They're they don't they're going to try to prevent. They don't want to spend money unnecessarily. I don't care how much money they have. You see what I mean? The minute somebody's injured, they're, they don't have value.
1: Right. So they try and, and get really what hap-
0: off of and them. And that's really what happened to Zane, I guarantee you.
1: Hmm. Very interesting. I,
0: I, like, did Zane get an injury settlement? I don't know.
1: Hmm. Did any of your kickers get picked up this week?
0: Uh, no. Okay, but that that but been working on that.
1: Yeah. What's yeah, the I worst have... part of uh the agent industry? Again, you know, I I've seen it with my own eyes. Whether it's and I've seen more of the basketball and I guess the football seven on seven culture. So from young and the runners the. AAU coaches and and football coaches who are basically serving as like pimps for these young kids to deliver them to colleges or uh, try and get a piece of their pro money. It can be pretty filthy. You've been in this business a long time. Give me an overview of, of how you've seen it change. Has it gotten better? Is it getting dirtier?
0: You know, I, I don't I don't use runners. You're not allowed to use runners. It's actually against the rules. So I don't know. How There's a lot of people it. not
1: playing by the rules, as you well know.
0: I know, but I play by the rules. Well, of course. Okay? And so I, I just sit there and go. Uh, so, uh, so see, I kind of operate in a vacuum. I just do it the way I'm going to do it. Right. And if somebody else is running around being an idiot, uh, I mean, I just, you know, I I don't I don't I don't understand it. I don't even get it. I don't know what you don't need to do that. You need to go meet with somebody and see if you align with them and their families and then it either works or it doesn't. But I think people who are cheating, if they're going to cheat you to get you, they're going to cheat in some other way too, meaning they're not going to be good people. You see what I mean? And eventually they get it catches up with them and they don't they don't stay in the business. The people who have been in the business for a long time in my opinion are pretty, you know, there are actually some pretty good people. Right. You see what I'm saying? The really bad ones end up in trouble. Yeah. So and so and and a lot of a lot of people change agents too. So, you know, whatever. It's it's just a it's is it getting worse? I I don't know. So- I I think what what's bad is that the players now expect everybody to give them something, and that's that's what it didn't used to exist that way. That's not the way it used to be, be- and that's that all that training stuff, right? Because you know, they want somebody to pay for training and their housing and their food. It's like that doesn't pencil. I mean, maybe with a first round pick, but the rest of it, it doesn't pencil. Yeah, it absolutely doesn't pencil. So I don't, I don't even get. And I, I just, it, it just doesn't make sense. None of it makes sense to me. It just doesn't sound like a good business decision. And, and for a player to be in debt to the agent from day one, stupid. Now you're taught, what if you don't like the agent, that you've taken all this money from them, and, and then you have to re, you, a, a lot of times they put stuff in. If you leave, you've got to give all that stuff back. And then you don't make it, you don't have any money. It's dumb.
1: So let's flip See, that. If, you, if if you're a, if you're a player and you're coming out and you need to train and you need food and you need housing, and you, you don't want to go in debt to the agent, but you're coming from a low income background, what is the best way to borrow that money and hopefully you sign a pro contract? But what's the best way to do to, that?
0: Uh, it's very simple. Keep your scholarship. At your university, train at your weight room. Hmm. Uh, it's real simple. Go to the combine, do the best you can do, go to your pro day, do the best you can do. And if you're good enough, you will get drafted.
1: But you don't Based need the high-priced trainer living in a house in Malibu no. with the, the no, dietitian and exactly. the exactly. blood chamber, blood oxygen chamber uh. and... No, trio. Not. Okay, some
0: of those some of those <laughs> trainers aren't very good. To be right. honest, some of them uh, and and some of them are really good. But uh, have you ever been to any of the big universities and seen how great their facilities are? Uh, way superior to a gym, right? And you have a football field to play catch on, okay? And you have people that are playing football. So you have people to play catch with. If you go to a trainer, you don't even know who's going to be there.
1: Yeah, I love the story, and then we're going to wrap, but I love the story of... (laughs) It's
0: so annoying
1: to me, but go ahead. uh, No, I I get it, but I love the story that I heard, and you can probably confirm this because your husband coaches at USC, but uh, I guess a bunch of the receivers were having pro day at USC, and they needed a quarterback. So Sam Darnold gets on a plane and flies in, to be quarterback, because obviously they did the same for him on his pro day. So I just thought that was a cool story. Like, hey, not bad to have Sam Darnold throwing to you on your your pro day if you're a wide receiver.
0: Was he doing that at USC at his pro day? I mean, he just was participating in the pro day. Is
1: yeah, that what you're talking about? No, so he did his pro day. But then the wide receivers, I guess, had a different pro day or that it was take two or something like that. There was something where the receivers needed a quarterback – and a good quarterback to throw to them. So he flew in, and I think he flew in from the East Coast after he had worked out for some East Coast teams, like took a plane cross-country and and came in. You can Google the story. But I just thought it was cool that that told me a lot about him and that he's a good teammate and that he's a good person. he's the
0: greatest guy. That that he's the greatest guy. That's what I've heard. No, he's like – he's such a good person. I mean – but see what happens is just so people understand that is okay an NFL team will call they'll call me the agent and say I would like to work out this player you you have a you have a combine day you have you know and and if if you're going to get drafted you're going to get invited to the combine okay then you have a pro day at your university okay and then they have individual workouts with guys at their university so there probably was a a offensive coordinator coming in to work out some of the – or a receiver coach coming in to work out the receivers. And and so, yeah, you need somebody – you need a quarterback to throw to you. And it has to be somebody who's in the draft. It can't be an undergraduate. It's against the rules. So you got to – you need a, a QB. So anyways, that's probably what happened. And so they probably had an individual workout and – um with the coach and, you know, and then that way the coach can see everybody too. Cause that could have been, a, it could have been a team that is also drafting a QB. So there might've been some, you know what I mean? Yeah. I, I don't know what team it was. So that's really what happens. There, there's different, you know, like when you're structuring a, a, when I'm, when I initially get a client, I'm going to look at all the different things like, okay, here's when you, if you're going to go to this bowl game, this is when you need to peak if you're going to, you know, then there's the combine, then your pro day, and then there's individual workouts. And that's really kind of what the process is. And then there's the draft.
1: Well, so. I was going to say yeah. that, that this has been such a fascinating conversation. I feel like we could talk for like three more hours, but I know you're busy and, uh, We've got a wrap on this end, but Jill McBride-Baxter, she is the host of the Representation Without Taxation podcast on iTunes. Highly recommend it. You are on Twitter at J underscore McBride-Baxter. Good follow on yep. Twitter as well. And uh like I said, we were introduced uh, via a mutual friend, Ryan Bruce. And I'm really glad that we had the opportunity to catch up. And you're welcome on this show any anytime. And uh I'm going to keep up with uh what you're doing. I'm going to try and figure out who some of your clients are other than your husband. So
0: <laughs> <laughs> it'll be hard to figure out.
1: <laughs> you're pretty stealth with it. Like you, you tweet out some stuff and you put some stuff out there, but I'm like, is she just sending this out as like general information? Is this one of our clients? But one day I'll, I'll figure out like who you'll, you'll have like some huge client and I'll go, all right, Jill, good job. Like, that's awesome that you're the the agent for that client
0: some clients i've had for 20 years so you know what i mean it's just you don't like i said there's this thing called attorney client privilege no i get it and look you're obviously
1: very good at what you do because you wouldn't be in business this long if you weren't and like you said earlier in the interview building relationships is a key part of your business and really any business and you've done that very well so congratulations and uh You know, you're an inspiration to a lot of people out there because there's a lot of there's a lot of bad agents out there and there's a lot of shady characters out there. So
0: I agree. I'm happy to know the good ones. There's good ones too. There's good ones too. There are, believe me. No, I know. know
1: I I totally agree. But I'd say, you know, those are harder to find. Like, if my daughter came to me one day and was like, "Hey, I'm turning pro. I'm going to be a soccer player or whatever," (laughs) uh, I'll I'll get you on speed dial and uh, we'll, we'll give you a call.
0: Yeah, and somebody can call me to 559 250 0151 if they need to get a hold of me, or email me jillbaxter at uh,
1: Give that out one more time, the phone number and the. Uh,
0: oh, yeah, you can call me 559 250 0151. That's my cell phone if somebody wants to talk to me about representation, or email me at jillbaxter at And then I have a website, jillmcbridebaxter.com.
1: Awesome. And I will say this in the almost 15 year history of this show. That's the first time anyone's ever given out their phone number. So good job. You got it in. And, uh, if people are listening, you may get some phone calls or some, some emails from people hearing you on the, the sports business radio podcast. And again, uh, listen to Jill's podcast on iTunes representation without taxation. And I guess this conversation may live on, on that podcast this week from what you tell me.
0: Yeah, that's what I want to do. I want to share it on mine, too. So Awesome. Jill, so good to talk
1: to you. Thank you so much. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. Sports Business Radio is sponsored by Boingo Wireless, the largest operator of indoor wireless networks in the U.S. Today's sports fans expect strong, fast mobile connections at their favorite stadiums. Research shows that fans will leave at halftime if they cannot get connected, which is part of the reason why professional and collegiate sports venues alike work with Boingo to manage their wireless networks. As the world's leading connectivity expert, Boingo knows how to make a venue's vision for the connected fan experience a reality. They are the only company that can provide end to end wireless service so teams can focus on the big game, not on their network. Boingo designs, installs, and manages Wi-Fi and cellular networks at university stadiums like K-State and the University of Houston and major league venues like Soldier Field, Phillips Arena, and Vivint Smart Home Arena. We're excited to showcase how technology is changing the business of sports, led by companies like Boingo. Boingo connects you to the people and things you love, like sports. For more information, visit boingo.com or email sports at boingo.com. Well, that's it for this edition of Sports Business Radio. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks to our show staff, Brian Griggs and Josh Blank. Thanks to Hadley Heck. She's a student athlete at Portland State University, and she's our new Sports Business Radio intern. Thanks to our friends at Boingo Wireless for powering our Sports Business Radio Roadshow. Follow them online at boingo.com or on Twitter at Boingo. And thanks again to our new partner, the Robin Hood app, Robinhood is giving our listeners a free stock like Apple, Ford, or Sprint to help build your portfolio. Sign up at sbradio.robinhood.com. That's sbradio.robinhood.com. A podcast reminder, you can catch our show on demand via podcast. Go to iTunes, type in Sports Business Radio. We're rated in the top 50 business news podcasts. You can also find our show on Audio Boom via the TuneIn Radio and Stitcher apps, and of course at sportsbusinessradio.com. Follow me on Twitter in between shows at SB Radio. Follow us on Instagram at Sports Business Radio. For Brian Griggs, I'm Brian Berger. Have a great week and we'll talk to you soon right here on Sports Business Radio. Sports Business Radio with Brian Berger bringing you the biggest names in sports business without further ado we all know this gentleman let's give david stern a big round of applause let's welcome the president of the ncaa mark emmer give him a hand let's give a big hand to usc alum and co-owner of the lakers and president of the lakers jeannie buss thank you for having me
0: what a nice turnout
1: thank you so so much for having me brian it was very very kind and i really enjoyed it thank you sir sir charles how are you I'm doing good, man. How are you doing this morning? Today's guest is Memphis Grizzlies head coach, David Fisdale. You're the man, Barrett. My guest is tennis icon, Chris Everett. It was very interesting. You asked great questions, so thank you very much, Brian. Pleased to welcome to the show, Kyrie Irving, the number one pick in the 2011 NBA draft. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. I'm happy to be joined by Pete Carroll, the executive VP of football operations and the head football coach of the Seattle Seahawks. Coach, how are you? Doing good. What's going on? Dallas Mavericks owner, Mark Cuban. Mark, thanks for joining me. My pleasure. Visit sportsbusinessradio.com and subscribe to our iTunes podcast. Follow us on Facebook,
0: Twitter, and Instagram.
1: Stay connected to the business side of sports only with Sports Business Radio.